One thing that I have had to do um, even for medical students and other trainees is to talk about the difference between sexual orientation and gender identity. There are um, trans men or, or gender non-conforming people who have sex and can get pregnant. Medical schools are improving, but they still have a ways to go. Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Lucia Chappelle. 500 Turkish activists arrested for attempted pride, proud boys invade more U.S. drag queen story hours, and Admiral Levine weighs in on Roe and trans health care. All that and more this week because you've chosen This Way Out. I'm John Dyer V. And I'm Michael Taylor Gray. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending July 2nd, 2022. Pride season in Turkey was no party again this year. Hundreds were arrested for attempting to march despite a ban on the Istanbul event on June 26th. The Ankara-based queer rights group Chaos GL reports that police in full riot gear entered nearby queer bars and other venues making random arrests even before the Pride March was set to start at 5 p.m. Close to 400 people were swooped up, including at least one journalist. Most of those arrested spent the night behind bars before being released. Istanbul Pride was once the most vibrant LGBTQ parade in the region before the first government ban in 2014. Chaos GL counts a total of 10 local Pride events banned in Turkey since late May, some on university campuses. They say that at least 530 people have been arrested nationwide for attempted Pride. Dublin's St. Stephen's Green was the scene of a violent attack as Pride festivities in the Irish capital were winding down on June 25th. The assault on five people put three in the hospital including a 19-year-old trans man who suffered a fractured skull and possible brain damage. The victims did not want to be identified, but a friend notified local politician Ion O'Riordan, and he shared their message on Twitter. It read in part, They just want to let people know that for all the happy and colorful stuff that happens at Pride, these attacks are going on in the background. I offered to pass this information on. Police officials are asking any witnesses to the assaults to come forward with information that might lead to arrests. Norway's Prime Minister Jonas Gar Stora and members of the royal family joined hundreds to honor the victims of a shooting rampage at popular night spots, including the LGBTQ London pub. The June 26th memorial service at Oslo Cathedral was held the day after a lone gunman killed two men and injured more than 20 other people. A 42-year-old Norwegian citizen of Iranian descent has been charged with murder, attempted murder, and terrorism. The shots rang out just hours before the city's annual Pride Parade was set to step off. All Pride events were canceled, but thousands marched spontaneously to fashion a makeshift memorial outside the London pub that evening. Defiant chants along the way included, We're here, we're queer, we won't disappear. Prime Minister Stora paid his respects at the memorial. 
Norway's crown prince Hakon laid his own flowers there, saying, We must protect the right in Norway to love whomever we want. Queer Christians in Glasgow, Scotland, faced off with anti-queer Christian bigots and won at their Pride celebration on June 25th. After a COVID-caused three-year hiatus, Pride-goers were not having the disruption. Members of the local LGBTQ-based Metropolitan Community Church led the chants that drowned out about a dozen counter-protesters demanding that they repent. The zealots soon gave up and left the area as the rainbow flag-waving Pride crowd whooped and cheered. There were proud protests as well, aimed at the British government's refusal to include transgender people in its proposed ban on conversion therapy. Legislation drafted by the ruling Scottish National Party to ban the bogus practice includes trans people. Scotland's first trans lawmaker, Elaine Gallagher, addressed the pride crowd from atop a double-decker bus decked out in rainbows. She said, Conversion is torture. We don't condone or practice child abuse no matter what the bigots say. It's them who do. Pride was on parade across South America this week, with several major events reported in the Washington Blade. An estimated 100,000 people hit the streets of the Chilean capital of Santiago on June 25th. They were celebrating the advent of marriage equality, which became legal on March 10th. Marchers demanded the repeal of Article 365, a discriminatory criminal code provision that sets the age of consent for same-gender sex at 18. It's 14 for heterosexuals. Bogota Pride brought thousands out on the same day to toast the election of Colombia's first leftist president and vice president. Former Bogota mayor Gustavo Petro and running mate Francia Marquez pledged during their recently won campaign to fight anti-queer violence and discrimination. Marquez will make history of her own as the country's first vice president of African descent. The Peruvian capital of Lima broke pride records on June 25th. Veteran activist Jorge Apoyala told The Blade that what he called a joyful rebellion was the largest march in the 20 years of history of this massive activity. (laughs) Hundreds of queer couples legally married in a mass ceremony on June 24th that was part of Mexico City's Pride celebrations. Several couples reportedly traveled hundreds of miles to get hitched. A live band serenaded the happy couples with Mendelssohn's Wedding March and other traditional music, according to the Associated Press. It was the first such ceremony after COVID canceled the annual mass weddings in 2020 and 2021. Kyiv Pride was celebrated on June 25th in Warsaw. Polish organizers invited their Ukrainian counterparts and refugees to lead the annual march through Poland's capital. To Ukrainian organizer Maxim Irastavi, in spite of the war, it's important for us to still march. It's about pride, but pride in being Ukrainian and surviving through genocide. Marchers frequently chanted, Slava Ukraini, glory to Ukraine. Meanwhile, one of Poland's top courts has rejected the appeals of four lower court rulings against LGBT-free zones. Five more lower court appeals to defend local and regional government measures opposing LGBT ideology are pending. The anti-queer ordinances have enjoyed at least the tacit approval of Poland's far-right federal government and the influential Roman Catholic Church. However, the European Union has made it crystal clear 
that LGBT-free zones will forfeit the substantial funding it funnels to all levels of the Polish government. A few localities facing that loss have voluntarily overturned their LGBT-free zone declarations. The U.S. white supremacist Proud Boys have stepped up their threatening attacks on little kids and their parents. An armed man identified as a Proud Boy member threatened a drag queen story hour reading at a library in Sparks, Nevada this week. A few of his cronies shouted obscenities outside. The neo-Nazi group marched into a Pride Month drag queen story hour in the San Francisco Bay Area last week, threatening the drag queen, parents, and preschoolers for simply trying to enjoy a life-affirming children's book reading by a fabulously attired entertainer. Several men wearing Proud Boys attire lurked outside a library in South Bend, Indiana, earlier in the week, threatening a rainbow family story time. Fearful organizers decided to cancel the Arts and Crafts Pride Month gathering. Armed and armored Proud Boys adorned with Trump-related merchandise and religious insignias converged on a library in McKinney, Texas this week. They also thought they'd halt a children's event, but they were not counting on what one participant called a human shield of love, a diverse rainbow flag-waving crowd of protectors who prevented the kids and their parents from coming in contact with the thugs. Finally, Florida's parental rights and education law took effect on July 1st. The notorious Don't Say Gay law virtually outlaws any discussion of LGBTQ identity in public schools that does not meet some undefined age-appropriate standard. Schools and individuals can be punished for violating the law. Implementation of the Sunshine State's new law is cloudy. For example, no one knows how a teacher is supposed to react if an elementary school student brings up their two moms or two dads during typical classroom discussions about families. Queer teachers are being forced back into the closet themselves. Rather than providing support to often-closeted adolescents, they're being cautioned to avoid rainbow-colored clothing, to remove safe space stickers from their classrooms, and to hide any desktop photos of their spouses, all for fear of being accused of saying gay. That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude, for the week ending July 2nd, 2022. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. And you can read the transcript and listen to News Wrap each week by subscribing to our This Way Out radio channel on YouTube. For This Way Out, I'm Michael Taylor Gray. Stay healthy. And I'm John Dyer V. Stay safe. Hi, this is Janice Ian, and you're listening to This Way Out. Oh, my. You ain't going to get this nowhere else. That's the truth. Hi, I'm Roger Q. Mason. I am a black, Filipinx, plus-size, gender non-conforming queer artist of color. And this is Queerly Yours, Profiles in Courage. This Way Out begins this special four-part series of conversations with transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming thought leaders from around the world with Admiral Rachel L. Levine. 
Levine is the 17th Assistant Secretary for Health for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, nominated by President Joe Biden and confirmed by the Senate in 2021. Her exclusive interview with Roger Q. Mason starts with the news of the day. Today is a, uh, it's not hyperbole to suggest, a very solemn moment. Today, the Supreme Court of the United States expressly took away a constitutional right from the American people that it had already recognized. They didn't limit it. They simply took it away. That's never been done to a right so important to so many Americans. But they did it. It's a sad day for the court and for the country. Fifty years ago, Roe v. Wade was decided and has been the law of the land since then. It, it just means so much to those of us who identify as trans and gender nonconforming to know that we are represented and seen in our government right now. Today, unfortunately, Roe versus Wade was struck down in the Supreme Court. Admiral Levine, what ramifications does that ruling have for trans and gender nonconforming folks? Well, thank you for that question. So this is a sad day for our country. Um, and the decision today is dangerous. Um, abortion is a basic and essential part of healthcare. And the health and lives of people who are assigned female at birth in our country are at risk. And so at the president's direction, we will double down to protect abortion access consistent with the law and the decision. But we stand unwavering in our commitment to ensure that every American has access to and the ability to make the decisions about their own health care. Now, what exactly does this ruling mean? What rights does that specifically take away or what protections does it deny? Sure. So Roe versus Wade uh, decision in, in, I believe, 1973 outlined that it was a constitutional right uh, for people to have an abortion. Mm -hmm. um, and this decision reverses that decision. And so it, it says specifically that there is no constitutional right to an abortion. And so it is up to Congress or up to the states. Um, so it's going to be a state by state issue in terms mm -hmm. of which states will um, have laws against abortion and then under different circumstances. And so it'll be a patchwork across our country that will play out over the next number of weeks and months. Now, a lot of people associate abortion, obviously, with folks that identify as female, but abortion is, is also a decision that happens in the lives of folks who are trans or gender nonconforming. Could you sort of shed a little bit of light on trans and gender nonconforming folks' relationships to abortion and also how sure. this affects them? Well, so, so there are um, trans men or, or gender nonconforming people who have uteruses, um, that have sex and can get pregnant. And if you have a uterus and you have the ability to get pregnant, uh, then this will impact you because um, it'll be a state-by-state -state patchwork whether you can receive an abortion if that's the decision that you make. You and I are kind of chuckling about this because we're having to sort of you know, explain to people basic anatomical possibilities. And what's sad is that you know, in many instances, people don't necessarily know these things. Exactly right. I have personally taken care of trans men um, who have sex with men, who have penile vaginal sex with men, and have had to talk about um, the, the risk of getting pregnant. 
Um, I think that that trans men sometimes have thought that they're on testosterone so that mm -hmm. they automatically will not get pregnant and mm -hmm. it is less likely, but it's by no means assured. And so I've always talked about the need for contraception such as condoms, uh, et cetera, for uh, trans men who have, have sex with men and think theoretically get pregnant. And that would be of course true for gender non-conforming people as well who have a uterus. Let me ask you this. A lot of these misunderstandings about gender and sexuality really start in early ages. Um, what are some things that you're noticing about the ways that we are teaching young people about gender, sexuality, and, and also I'll call them non-binary identities in schools around the country? Uh, well, certainly one of the important um, uh, uh, educational opportunities that, that are really important for young people is to have comprehensive sex education um, right. and to learn about all of these all of these different issues. Um, one thing that I have had to do um, even to uh, for medical students and other trainees is to talk about the difference between sexual orientation and gender identity uh, is that, that they that they don't overlap and so you can have any combination thereof in terms of sexual orientation and gender identity. And, um, you know, as certainly as physicians and nurses and, and, and other medical providers, we have to know that. And it's important for people to know that in general. Are you noticing a positive receptiveness within the medical community to these new understandings and definitions. I mean, I, my, my own doctors, I identify as they, them, and my own doctors are sort of still tripping up sometimes on, oh, he, they, sorry, I don't know. And it's like, no, you should be knowing. So medical providers should know. And, and so uh, there was an Institute of Medicine report um, a, a number of years ago stating that we had to improve education for physicians and other medical providers about LGBTQI plus medical issues. And medical schools are improving, but they still have a ways to go. Let's go back even further than medical schools. Are there any things that you're noticing about sex education in younger people that could be improved. You know, the, again, there is a patchwork of, of sex education in schools, and it depends right. upon the state um, that you're in, but also might depend specifically about the, the school district that you're in. Mm. You know, uh, school boards and, uh, and superintendents have a lot of control over the curriculum um, in, in their schools. And so, you know, I'm afraid that many young people do not get comprehensive sex education. And so uh, we feel that that is very important to have comprehensive sex education in the schools so that young people can understand um, themselves, understand their bodies, understand reproduction, and understand the, the varieties in terms of sexual orientation and gender identity as well. You're listening to Queerly Yours, Profiles in Courage on This Way Out. I mean, I'm getting teared up thinking about the fact that people are denied the opportunity to learn about their bodies. For someone that may live in a state or a school district where that information might not be provided to them, how can we empower young people to learn about their own bodies when they're well, teaching? I think a place to start would be their medical provider. Um, is to talk to their, uh, to, uh, their pediatrician, family physician, nurse practitioner, physician assistant uh, about, about resources. There are certainly internet resources, but as you know, you do have to be careful of right. what you find on the internet. So you certainly want to go to reputable, reputable sources. Um, but it is really something that, um, that we're trying to instill, for example, in pediatric education uh, for pediatricians to be able right. to talk 
to their patients. I do want to highlight, though, the, 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 the an issue in Florida. So, uh, you yeah. know, um, I, I plan to be in Florida next week um, in Orlando and then in Miami uh, talking about um, uh, uh, issues and specifically issues um, regarding trans-affirming care and uh, especially for young people, um, right. as well as gender-affirming care for young people, as well as Florida's don't say gay bill. So, you know, as we know from the Trevor Project, you know, for an LGBTQI plus youth, all the difference between having severe suicidal thoughts or not is, is one supportive adult. Yeah. One supportive adult can decrease the risk of suicidal ideation in a young person by about 40%. Mm-hmm. And that might be a teacher. That might be a coach or a school nurse or someone else at school. And so that is the insidious nature of Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill, because um, uh, if if a young person is talking to a school personnel, they are required to call their parents. That is part of the law now. Mm. And many young people might not feel comfortable about that, especially if they're questioning and they're just they're, they're thinking about these issues. In addition, the teacher um, or the school personnel is not allowed to divulge maybe that they're a member of our community. They're a member of our LGBTQI plus community um, where that might be really important information to to be able to to relate to the young person. And so all of those are illegal under this law and it's really part of the insidious nature. And and the concern is that for vulnerable young people, this could actually cost lives. I mean, it's it's sort of creating a new closet in in a way, a a legally sanctioned closet. That's exactly right. And so, you know, we're going to um, uh, push back against that. I'm going to go to, to Florida and to speak out against these uh, against these state actions. Uh, I've done so in Texas. And, right. you know, the, the, the good news is and, and yeah. the, the reason to be hopeful is that we have a president and a vice president and administration that see our community. Yes. They see us. They support us and they affirm us. And yeah. I had the amazing opportunity to stand on the podium with the president of the United States as he signed an executive order last week um, supporting the LGBTQI plus community uh, to, to working to do away with conversion therapy for mm. us to work towards, uh, towards supporting gender affirming care. And that really calls upon our department at the health, uh, Department of Health and Human Services and our secretary, Secretary Becerra, who supports us so much, as well as the as the Department of Education and Secretary Cardona and others to take actions to support our community. And I was able to stand there behind the president, next to the vice president, next to Secretary Pete, um, yes. to see the affirmation of our community. Um, just, just yesterday, the Department of Education uh, put out um, a statement saying that, that Title IX um, in education, uh, when they say that you cannot discriminate on the basis of sex, that that includes sexual orientation and gender identity. At HHS, we have said that the Affordable Care Act, when it says you cannot discriminate on the basis of sex, that that includes sexual orientation and gender identity. And so we're going to be working through all of those different uh, policy and laws and rules and regulations to protect our community. Yes. Um, And then the Department of Justice will be doing the same thing in terms of their actions. And they've already been doing that. So we're going to work on advocacy, on policy, and through the legal realm under President Biden and Vice President Harris to support and protect our community. 
You know, I've got to tell you, you're truly doing noble and powerful work. And it's unfortunate that our bodies and our decisions about the fates of those bodies have become the, 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 the political theater that they have become in recent years. You know, when you were sworn in, for so many of us who are transgender nonconforming, you were a beacon of hope because there you were as an out trans person representing us and our healthfulness. What are your hopes for trans and gender non-conforming Americans in the years to come? You know, um, so I understand the concerns um, that our uh, members of our community have, especially in those states that are taking these uh, politically motivated um, negative actions and, and promoting these negative laws. You know, why do, why do people, why are they doing that? Uh, as you mentioned, I think a lot of it is politically motivated. I think other people do react with fear. I think that people tend to fear what they don't understand, and they think that these issues of sexual orientation or gender identity are, are, are beyond their experience, and that's their impression anyway. Mm. Um, so, you know, I go back uh, um, to my youth and to Yoda um, and Star Wars, right? He says that fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads oh. to anger. Anger leads to hate. And hate leads to suffering. And so what I'm trying to do is to put a face to for people to about our, our LGBTQI plus community and specifically the trans community that, you know, here I am at the as the assistant secretary for health. I'm an admiral in the United States Public Health Service Commission Corps, and I'm working to protect the public health and to work towards the common good and that people in our community. That's what we do. Yeah, we're just trying to work towards the common good. We might be teachers, we might be doctors and lawyers, we might do communications, mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we, we might work in a restaurant, but we're just yeah. trying to live our lives and to help people. And that's what we're trying to do. There's no reason to fear us and it doesn't lead, need to lead to these negative, these negative emotions. Um, I think that we will be successful, you know, now yes. I'm a positive and optimistic person. I choose to be a positive and optimistic person. Yes. And I think we will work past these setbacks that we're having, these challenges that we're having, and under, under this president and this vice president, that we will continue to make progress um, in our community and make progress towards equality. What is one thing that we as transgender nonconforming folks can do to protect ourselves and each other? And what is one thing that our allies can do to help us in this fight to defend our rights to our own bodies? Mm -hmm. I think that we need to advocate and not just at the federal level. We tend to think federally, but I think it's critically important to advocate at the local level and, you know, at the at the state level. Um, I think that we need to work with with local trusted local leaders, whether they're in the, in the medical field or business leaders in the communication field and others and work um, to 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 uh, gain trust and then work with uh, with our community and our allies uh, to, 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 to make progress at the local and state level and then at the federal level. What would you say to a young queer person today about the future of our people? I, again, I'm a positive and optimistic person and I think the future for our community looks brighter. Thank you, Admiral Levine. Thank you, it was a pleasure. Join us next time when we will talk to performance artist Dorian Wood. I'm Roger Q. Mason for This Way Out. 
You've been listening to U.S. Assistant Secretary for Health, Admiral Rachel L. Levine, on the first of This Way Out's four-part series, Queerly Yours, Profiles and Courage with Roger Q. Mason. Thanks for finding This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Some program material this week came from John Dyer V and Michael Taylor Gray, produced by Brian DeShazer. Queerly Yours, Profiles and Courage with Roger Q. Mason was produced by Brian DeShazer and Roger Q. Mason with music and technical assistance by David Gonzalez. Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This way out thanks to the Kicking Assets Fund of the Tides Foundation, the Yavana Foundation, a bequest from Christopher David Trentum, and donors Paul Bannon and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Thank you. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For coordinating producer Greg Gordon and all of us at This Way Out, thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org and on 5GTR Mount Gambier, South Australia, KHOI Ames, Iowa, WESU Middletown, Connecticut, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned, y'all.